0: Welcome to the Invest Smarter Podcast, where you'll learn about the power of building wealth through real estate, and how you can achieve financial freedom through multifamily investing. If you're interested in learning more about investing in multifamily real estate, head over to our website, sastexascapital.com, and take advantage of our free ebook, Multifamily Millions, How Anyone Can Invest in Apartment Buildings. Now, here's our host, Simon Castillo.
1: Yeah, you know, I think I think there's a reason why a vast majority of people are are probably better off remaining W two employees because real estate is is hard. It's not easy. Like you mentioned, you you have to find you have to find a property, you have to renovate it, you have to you have to put a tenant in it, you have to you have to screen that tenant. You have to talk to to brokers. You have to talk to lenders. You have to talk to insurance people there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes into a one single family transaction. And for a vast majority of people, they're just too busy with their job to, to really do a, 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 yeah. a service as a, as a real estate investor. Um, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why um, passive investing is so attractive because you, you really get to enjoy the benefits of owning real estate. Mm-hmm. You, you build wealth, you, 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 you take part in the appreciation, you'll have cash flow. And you get uh, uh, tax benefits that, that go with owning. Real-
2: I agree. Um, I agree. You know? So I, 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 I have delved into both and you have too, I know. And I still continue to hold some of my single family assets just because I was too lazy to dispose them of. I wish I did, um, but I have them right now. So it's there. Um, you know, the challenge always is, I always thought that 200, $200 per month was a lot of money coming in. It was going to help. But you know what happens is, what I didn't what I didn't foresee at that time was, one HVAC replacement could wash out your entire year's worth of cash flow, right? One eviction could set you back several thousand dollars. So that 200, 300 400, while it sounds good, until you're able to scale to a point where you have 10X, 20X of those available to you, where your risk is syndicated. If you're only gonna own one or two or three, you have to really think hard about these negative scenarios. And to your point, Simon, I ask everyone, like, how much do you want to scale this business of single family? If you're only going to buy one, you might as well invest in a, uh, in a syndication with someone like me or you, or there are other deals. Like I always tell my friends, you don't have to invest with me. That's completely fine. If you don't want to invest, that's okay. But keep your eyes open to passive investing because passive investing, the only decision you're making in passive investing is whose opportunity would you invest your money in? That's it. After that, uh, if you made that decision wisely, you sit and collect a paycheck, right? Every month, every quarter, depending upon their distributions. And, oh, by the way, uh, multifamily syndications is usually 1.8X or 2Xing your money in every three to five years. That's at least a projection. And let's assume that projection is true. You're essentially doubling your money in two to five years. right? And if you're doing that, it's with zero amount of work, and it gives you the freedom to do your job should you choose to live that life, that's completely fine. And um, like I know a lot of physicians who love being physician, but they hate money. Uh, they just don't want to think about money, right? And that's okay. There's nothing wrong in that. But that doesn't mean they should not put the plan together to have their money work for them. So for some like that, passive investing is great because they're good at their craft. They love their craft. They went in to help people and they should continue doing that. But then think about taking the money out. If you were to invest in your example, right? In your statement, if you were to invest in a single family, the amount of work and effort and risk and liability involved, especially in the medical field, the liability involved in a single family is exponentially higher than if they were to invest in a single family deal or a multifamily deal or a syndication as a limited partner, because no matter what happens in a syndication, you as a limited partner is not getting sued. You as a limited partner has zero exposure. You don't sign on the loan. You don't have anything to do. As I said earlier, the only decision is I'm going to invest in Simon's deal or Socket's deal or XYZ's deal. That's the only, that's the only assessment you have to do. Yeah, you're right. And, and eventually, like you said, it comes down to investing with who
1: you're comfortable, uh, you know, putting your money with. And Mm -hmm. uh, I I love your point about it It doesn't have to be me doesn't have to be someone else, find someone that you're comfortable with, and that you're comfortable with the asset that they're investing in. Um, You know, something a a story I always tell uh, my investors is you people are going to put you know, these great offering memos in front of you, they're always going to be great. They're going to be nice and glossy yeah. and pretty pictures. And they're all going to look fantastic, fantastic returns. But ultimately you're entering a partnership and you're going to be partnered with that person for the next three to five years. So yeah. better better to invest with someone that you, that you know and, and trust uh, versus someone that you don't know. And, yeah. you know, if, if things turn tough, you know, you have someone that, 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 that you can reach out to that's one of the biggest things that I tell people is, um, you know, it, just as important as a deal itself is the
2: person that you're investing with. Yeah, you know my It's certainly interesting you say that because that's a very important point, right? So, um, the, the, um, I like you, I'm sure you do the same. You get the same thing. I get pitched a lot of deals now uh, because once you're in that circle, um, you're going to be in multiple distribution lists and people are going to send you their deals, right? And I see deals making 3X returns in this market. Um, and one of my friends said, oh, if I don't invest in that deal, I'm going to lose out on that. Let me just put my money in there. Um, and I had to actually pause it. I'm like, okay, let's, let's think through that. If it's a 3X deal, if I had a deal today that I can tell my investors, I'm going to 3X their money in three to, five, three to five years in this market, in this environment, kid you not, I'll fill that deal in three hours. Maybe two, maybe one. It's just it's because that, those, those deals do not exist. And if they exist, there's a lot of risk associated with that. Right? So to your point about as a syndicator, we'll never say our deal sucks because we will never find a deal that, that sucks, right? Our thesis, the deal rocks. Now, as an investor, what you have to do is you have to, instead of saying that syndicator is doing something wrong, it's not that; It's their thesis is not aligned with your thesis. So you have to make sure you have, so in that, so let's take a step back. You actually have, as an investor, you need to develop your own personal investor philosophy. What is you? Do you invest in cash flowing? Do you invest in appreciation only? Is appreciation more important to you? Or that's the only thing. How important is tax benefit for you? How important are uh, stable markets for you? Or do you want to go in hybrid markets or, or linear markets? These are the decisions that you need to start thinking before you find a syndicator to invest a deal in, because what's going to happen is, and you know that, Oh, socket Simon, this deal is an amazing deal. It's going to close in 24 hours while I don't want to pressurize you. I'm just letting you know, right? What essentially has happened is I've told you, dude, if you don't go in 24 hours, um, you're going to lose out on the deal. So then there's a FOMO sets in the fear of missing out sets in, and you're pressured to make a decision and you chances are you're not going to be able to do your due diligence. That does not mean your decision will always be wrong, but it may be wrong because you haven't thought through it, right? That's one. The second really is it really is not the deal always. It's really the syndicator, it's really the team that's behind that deal that matters. And if, you're, uh, if you've been in any industry for a while, as apartment syndication, we always talk about you're not buying. A real estate, you're buying a business. And no matter what a projection for a business is, market's gonna change and your plan's gonna change. Right? So even though I'm telling a projection of X, Y, and Z today, I I have a fair degree of certainty, but I can't, I can't sign that in blood because I I can't predict what's gonna happen in the market. So then how do you, how do you sort of remove the noise from that? How do you even look at the deal? You actually don't look at the deal first. You actually want to look at the syndicator first, the team that's behind it. What's their experience? How well, how well have they done the deals before? And, and maybe they haven't done the deal. Maybe they're a great business operator to begin with, and they're picking up a new asset class that you have a full confidence there's business acumen is going to carry them forward, but they have a whole team behind them. Right? Then you start looking at that, then you look at the market. Uh, market and syndicators are interchangeable because you may want to pick the market first, and the syndicators are playing that market. Once you you review do your due diligence on them, you understand them, and when the deal comes, you're going to be able to much adep- you're going to be have you're going to be much adept at making that decision because you have done your due diligence on all the things that could have gone wrong. Now the only thing you want to make sure is there's a deal aligned with you, and are the assumptions that the, the team is making are the assumption that you would make if you were to buy it. That way your your due diligence shrinks to a few hours. So when people say that my deal is gonna fill in 24 hours, it's not because all the new investors are coming in who just saw the deal and they're filling, it's because there are folks who have invested in the syndicator, they've done the due diligence of them, they understand their thinking, they feel comfortable, so they're able to make that decision in two hours. But if this is your first time reviewing a deal, it's going to be harder for you to make that fast decision. You may be able to make that decision, but you would not have thought through those decision-making process. And that's really where I think the gap happens between a great investor versus a novice investor, where the due diligence phase is shrunk.
1: You know, in in my experience, a you know a, a good operator, like you said, is more than just someone that can find deals. It's someone that knows how to manage a relationship because you know these types of deals, these these syndications, uh, these private you know placement uh, type of investments, are typically you know longer term, you know three, five, sometimes seven years, and that's a long time to be invested in a deal and have a relationship with someone, uh, and and if you know over time, if you if your values don't match up, if 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 they're not the type of operator that you thought they were, uh, it's it's tough to be in a relationship for a long time, so. I think a good operator is one that is really focused on developing, uh, not just finding deals, but developing relationships. You know, with with your investors, because that's your that's your lifeblood. You know, like like you mentioned, you you want to make sure that they're happy. You want to make sure you can pay them back. You want to have communication, uh, you know, coming both ways. And I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of a lot of that is is uh, especially over the last few years when you know real estate was really hot. I think a lot of that was was kind of uh, misplaced. It's a lot more important now in in today's environment.
3: Yeah. You could be an idiot and still make money in real estate, you know, you didn't (laughs) have to be anybody special. And and that's, and that's, and that's where as Warren Buffett says is when the tide rolls out, you find out who's swimming naked. Right. And it's good to find those people that the tide already rolled out on them, but they were still clothed, you know, like those, (laughs) that's why you want that kind of experience and that, and that, uh, yeah, really that experience, that track record. I'll, I'll add this too. um, Sometimes I'll see syndicators that will change their strategy They'll all of a sudden, change to a completely different real estate class, and um, and then that's fine and all, but that's a hard one for me to want to trust and turn money over to them. You know, if they're experimenting, I'd rather let them let their own money or somebody else's money be guinea pigs versus my own. I want people that really do to say, "Hey, here's my buy box. Here's what I do." They can be flexible in the and how they find those deals, but. But they're saying no. I don't break these rules. This is what I need to do. And if it doesn't look good in the market, I'm not buying anything. Um, those are the people I love because I know that they're disciplined. I know it's hard to say no, especially when people want to give you money. It's uh, you. You want to make sure that you have the people that say nope. If it's not good, if it doesn't fit the parameters that I have set here, if it's not the thing that I've been doing over and over that I can, I, I can do with my eyes closed. You know, as one as I heard one syndicator say, he calls it vanilla deals. I love vanilla deals. Boring is sexy to me. When when they start talking about chocolate and they're like, "Hey, now we're going to do a hotel conversion," you know, well, if you haven't done that before or you're trying to buy a coffee farm, you haven't done that before, probably not the person to invest with at this point. You know, get some get some years under your belt, you know, some experiences, probably losing some money in some of those deals, then maybe I'll come back later and invest with you on those things.
1: Yeah, that's uh, I chuckled a little bit because I have people telling me all the time, you know, I'm in San Antonio, by the way, in San Antonio, Texas, and I, I have people tell me all the time, why aren't, why aren't you investing in Houston or why aren't you investing in Dallas or Austin? Well, because I, I know San Antonio. I know San Antonio like the back of my hand. You can give me an address and a zip code, and I know exactly where that property is, and I know exactly what the neighborhood's like, and I know the economics in San Antonio. I know the political environment in San Antonio. And why would I invest anywhere else when I know this market so well? Um, so to me, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's funny because to your point, you know, vanilla is, is sexy because it's, it's, yeah. it's a proven formula, right. And you know, you've had success with it. So why, why continue to, to try to change it?
3: Yeah. And that doesn't mean you'll be a hundred percent either. Right. I mean, I've seen some amazing operators that in the last year stopped paying their preferred returns or they're stopped paying distributions and people are panicking, but the great thing is that you can tell they're one, they're working on it. Two, like you said, they're communicating, which is very important. And then three, that they're going to live up to the word. They're going to do what they can. And if worst case, you look at it as like a longer term deal, you know, it's like, okay, this, this might be a three to five year deal. Well, what was your alternative? IRAs, 401ks. Well, you got to wait till you're 59 and a half or older, depending on what the government says, anyways. So you have to put that long term, you know, maybe you have to write it out. And if, if again, if they're good operators and they have good integrity, great. Then those are the people that, you can trust more, even if it, it doesn't go exactly according to plan. Still, you can have faith, knowing that at some point I will get my money back.
1: Yeah, no, all, all you know, valid valid points. I, I do want to ask you something. So we've kind of spent some time talking about what is some of the, uh, I guess, uncommon type of uh, financial advice. You know, investing in in some of these alternative you know classes, asset classes. Uh, tell me a little bit about what is some of the common. Uh, financial advice that you hear and that makes you cringe, you know, what are some of the things that make you cringe that you hear people, uh, you know, advising other people to do?
3: Oh man, so many. Um, (laughs) One of them that's popped in my head was diversify, right? Um, I believe in diversification, but when they say diversify as in buying mutual funds by buying more than one stock, that is not diversification. That is the same Asset class, there's four asset classes. There's paper assets like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, even life insurance, banks, CDs, all those things, right? Almost everything you get offered by financial people are paper assets. Then there's real estate. And I mean, real real estate, not REITs. They don't count. Um, Commodities like gold, silver, oil, things like that. And then there's business, right? Like actually investing in the business. By the way, Warren Buffett doesn't buy stocks. He buys businesses. He buys controlling interest in the businesses and that's where he invests. Um, big mistake or myth that people have out there. So those those are four asset classes. Well, when you buy stocks and bonds and mutual funds, they're all paper assets. So they say you're diversified. You're not. Twenty twenty two, you lost money in stocks and bonds. It didn't matter where you had your money with a financial advisor. You lost. You know, unless it's like a money market, then you might have made point nothing percent. You know, and that's and that's normal. That's a very normal thing to happen. So I, I hate when people say be diversified. I know even Mark Cuban says diversification is for idiots. Um, now, granted, he's come from a business perspective. I think there's a balance. I think if you're going to diversify, diversification is important with operators, right? Like if you might put money into certain deals, don't put all your money into one deal. You know, that's that's bad. I have uh, some clients that they have a particular favorite operator that they love, you know, especially in the oil and gas space. I had to tell them, I was like, listen, like I can't give you financial advice because I'm not an investment advisor, but don't you dare put more than 33% of your money into one company. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Like that's dangerous. You know, even I don't care if you think they're the best people ever still, you know, they might put hundred percent of their money in because they own and control it. You don't, you're a passive investor. You still need to diversify among different strategies. And you can do that in real estate. I mean, when I have clients buying up, you know, they might buy some turnkey properties. They might buy not just single family homes. They might buy duplexes. They may also get into apartment syndications, even though right now they're harder to find. They might buy apartment syndications or self-storage. They could do like the oil and gas stuff. They can do business partnerships. They can do short-term lending. They can do all kinds of things, funds that are diversified in different areas too. There's so many different ways you can diversify even being heavy in real estate and still have some protection. So I think diversification, when they talk about it, you know, from the traditional standpoint, it makes me cringe because it's never true diversification. I think once you do get out of the rat race, then of course, great. You know, you have enough passive income to replace your expenses. Then you start building out, maybe buy more in commodities side, or you start, you know, maybe buy into some businesses. If you're heavy in real estate, there's a lot of things you do. Franchises is another option you can do too, that some of our clients will do. Um, So that's one that drives me nuts. Uh, Debt is another one too, whether it's talking about, you got to be debt-free. I'll tell you the Dave Ramsey poster child are like our ideal clients. The people that did everything Dave Ramsey said, and then they realized, wait a minute, I'm not Dave Ramsey because Dave Ramsey owns $600 million of real estate. That's where he makes his money between the hundred plus million dollars a year he makes in his business. There's where he makes his money. None of it's in the stock market. They get ticked off. They become asset rich and cash poor. And often we might have to teach them, even though we may not cash out like all their house equity, especially with the way rates are today, we might look at how to get money out of prison. So um, many in prison, usually in two places, home equity, right? And that could be even be investment property equity too. And of course, money in banks, stocks, bonds, CDs, even crypto—you know those kind of things. Get your money out of prison and then get it out to invest in places that actually generate passive income. And uh, and that's that's really all we do with people is figure out how do we improve their cash flow and their situation and how do we get their money out of prison to get it working for them. And uh, and of course, everything you learn in financial advising, it's all about locking up in prison. Keep that money locked away, set it and forget it. You hear that right? keep it in there forever. Miracle of compounding interest is the eighth wonder of the world, which by the way, Einstein never said, but you'll see it only on financial advisor websites and network marketing company sites, but they'll say it, but it's not true. He never said that, but, uh, but they'll teach it like it's, it's gospel, right? You know, the compounding interest crap, it's all in an effort for banks and institutions to keep your money longer. They want you to keep your money there forever. They want you to build it and compound it, not pull out interest only. They want you to pull out less than interest so that their cash flow with their guaranteed fees will always increase. That's why they do it. Even when you're paying off loans, banks want you to pay them off faster. That's why they'll incentivize you with lower interest rates for faster loans, like 15 year or 10 year mortgages versus a 30 year. If they really wanted you to do 30 year mortgages, like I used to teach when I was a mortgage broker, come on. If that were the case, they would give you the lowest interest rate and say, oh no, keep it forever. Cause we'll compound that over time. Banks are not idiots. They know exactly where they make their money. It's by you paying your principal back faster, so they can then lend out six to ten times the amount that you give them. That's what they're really trying to do. So they want you to pay off your debt. They want you to pay down your house, so you have all this equity. So if you ever can't make your payments for whatever reason, they can just take it from you, and they have all the equity. That that kind of stuff like it's so risky. Um, that's why I'm a fan of paying off consumer debt in many cases, but don't believe that debt is evil. Don't believe that debt is not a good thing, especially if you're a wise steward of your money. That's the key thing. Being a saver doesn't work that we've proven that being a wise steward is what makes you more money.
0: Thanks again for listening to the Invest Smarter Podcast, the show that educates you so that you can take control of your financial future. Be sure to rate the show five stars and leave us a review. Make sure that you're subscribed so that you automatically receive the newest edition of the podcast when it's released. If you're interested in learning more about investing in multifamily real estate and taking control of your financial future, head over to our website, sastexascapital.com and take advantage of our free ebook, Multifamily Millions, how anyone can invest in apartment buildings and be sure to sign up for our mailing list to receive exclusive investment opportunities straight to your inbox. It's time to invest smarter. That's sastexascapital.com.